Aloha! Welcome, bienvenue, come on in. <laughs> uh, hello, everyone. We are back with a new episode of The Wages of Cinema. It's about time we came back. Yes. Yes, I am Jack, and always is with me is... Wifely duty, Corey. Mm, my of Jack. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, my of Jack would be someone else. I think we made this joke probably on the podcast before. <laughs> so we should move on to actually talking about our main subject, which is, oh, you know how in the past we finish our podcast usually with, oh, uh, maybe next time we'll talk about something that's good. Well, yeah, who am I kidding? We're here to talk about something so good. <laughs> Parasite. Yes, this new film, which is called Parasite by the director Bong Joon-ho, and... Oh, as the kids would say, this movie slaps. <laughs> I love this movie so much. I love it. 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 It's not only the best film of the year. Oh, it's God. one of the best films of the decade. I want to platonically marry Bong Joon-ho so I can just see his beautiful mind in action every day. I love every single thing about this movie. Love, 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 love. Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> you, you never really share your feelings with me on the podcast. I'm really disappointed, Corey. No, I'm in, uh, I'm in quite the agreement with you. Um, I am uh, so incredibly overwhelmed by the experience of seeing Parasite. And honestly, I don't know if I had... I didn't really have that much uh, to worry about, I don't think, because so far... Um, this director, who, for those of you who don't know, um, his most well-known film probably to date is uh, uh, Snowpiercer. Uh, he, before that, he also made kind of like some waves in the cult film world with this movie called The Host, which was a Korean monster movie. Uh, but Snowpiercer, that was his first movie that had a lot of like big-name stars like Chris Evans and... Ed Harris, uh, Tilda Swinton is in it, Octavia Spencer, and actually the star of this film, uh, of Parasite, Song Kang-ho. Um, it's the one kind of main Korean guy. But, um, see, the problem though with talking about Parasite, though, is there's so much that, that, you know, normally you sometimes say to a friend or whoever, when you're talking about a movie, I can't give away too much. And, you know, that's, you know, that might, Frank, you know, sit down there, M. Night Shyamalan. You're not going to be all that hype anymore. <laughs> you know, you can talk about a movie. Parasite, though, is a film that you really do need to see before you really, like, can talk about it. Like, yeah. in, in, in really big depth. Yeah, I am one of those people that can't stand hysterical spoiler culture and i think people are way too uptight about spoilers but i would say that this is a movie that benefits from going in knowing very little yes um now what i can say and by the way to give a little background to parasite won the the palm d'or can and it's uh it, it kind of broke box office records for a foreign language film and limited release. Like it was in three theaters and made like a, a shit ton of money. And, um, but with this film, I think what we, we can, we can kind of sum up the very most general thing about what initially happens. And then 
I guess we could just make an entire spoiler-filled review if you want. Should I give the people the plot summary I gave to my parents? Um. <laughs> yes. Uh, sure. Yeah, I guess that would work. Okay. Uh, like if if like, give me your kind of like one or two line synopsis. What I told my parents is, some poor people go to work for some rich people, and wackiness ensues. <laughs> That was exactly how Bong Joon-ho sold it to the <laughs> studio. That's how he got his millions to make this movie. Yeah, um, that's basically that. That's pretty succinct in a way. I mean, yeah, it's well, it's you're you're kind of leaving out how they don't go all to work at once. Like what happens is, um, you have this family, and the father is uh is named Kim. He's played by Song Kang Ho. Um, he also he has a wife and a son and a daughter. Um, and the son uh, is the actor Choi Woo-shik. Uh, he plays Ki Woo. He gets kind of like a recommendation to teach like this uh, teenage girl in this kind of rich person family how to, you know, English to be kind of a tutor. And at first, like, you know, initially you might think, oh, okay, that's maybe this movie will be about the two of them. But no, then... One after another, the family becomes a part of this fam of the rich person family. Yes, <laughs> in through a series of, uh, like the first half of this movie is just how this uh, this how the family the Kim family becomes part of uh, of uh, well Kim T Kim Kitiak. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, and that itself is. A wildly entertaining part of the film. Yeah, and one thing that I think is really amazing about Bong Joon-ho is David Ehrlich called him a genre unto himself, which is really perfect because he excels at blending comedy and tragedy and thriller and sociopolitical commentary and he blends them all up together in the best smoothie you'll ever drink. <laughs> the the bong smoothie. <laughs> the smoothie bong. Yeah, I like that. Um yeah, I mean and, and again, it what what's what's remarkable is I think Hitchcock is maybe the closest kind of comparison uh that one could get as far as someone who knows how to play the audience. Mm-hmm. And can shift tones seemingly very seamlessly, and in the, and of course, when you're dealing with someone who can play an audience, it, it 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 it's a lot more work than it looks like, and that's what is really impressive to me about this film overall. Again, without getting into everything that happens, and again, half this movie is one giant spoiler. Um, but it's also interesting to note too, that he's clearly like, he's talked about this in interviews. He's kind of a socialist filmmaker. He, he has very left leaning views. Um, his previous film that was on Netflix, uh, Okja, that's spelled O-K-J-A. It was basically a big message film about, uh, eating meat and veganism and that sort of thing. And, yeah. and corporate food culture, but what's but he never stops being an entertainer. That's what I like is that he is a consummate filmmaker, and then but he gets his message across through his, you know, 
through having all these human characters and interactions, he doesn't make it about the message, at least at first. It kind of works on you the longer you watch it. Yeah, so this movie is really deep and substantive and has a ton to say, but it never feels like you're eating your vegetables. You know what I mean? It has the yeah. thrills and the kind of surface pleasures of a real easy popcorn movie, but it's also brilliant and deep. And I also told my mom that Bernie Sanders should play this movie <laughs> at his rallies. Everybody, you need to go see Parasite. It is the most brilliant film I've ever seen. That's my uh, Bernie Sanders imitation. See, you're a much better audience for my imitations than uh, the formerly deposed Andrew. Uh, you'd always like say, like, that's not an imitation. Maybe he was just jealous. <laughs> yes, uh, he he would he would raise up Parasite as yeah he should play like clips from the movie uh, before his uh, before his rallies um, yeah and you know the cast is all spot on and great um, I love the actress who plays the the rich family mother oh, yeah. um, that's the actress Cho Yi Jung um, she's I think her name is. Uh, 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 Yon Kyo, I think. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, if I show you her picture, yeah. see, she looks familiar now. Yeah, and I initially she gets described to um, Ki Woo as quote simple, but I, but I think it's a little reductive. I think that she's just she takes whatever she's given, uh-huh. like information she's given, and has like kind of like a general impression about things. Which is a lot like how a lot of people who have a lot of wealth and don't need to worry about things sometimes react. And also is very sensitive to certain smells. <laughs> well, can I say another thing that I really love about this movie? Of course. Well, All right. yeah, I'm going to stop you from saying All right. Now, to set this up, this comment I'm going to make. We watched Game of Thrones, and so when the show ended, <laughs> we both consumed a ton of of Game of Thrones commentary, dissection, etc. We, we were going through uh, separation anxiety, and we were the wounded party. <laughs> but one of the many, many, many Game of Thrones articles I read said their problem with the show was it went from being a sociological show to a psychological show. And by that, the author meant... Early seasons of Game of Thrones really focused on how characters lack agency and they're very reactive to the mores and the system that they live in. And as the show went on, it focused more on individual psychology and less on broad level sociological analysis. Hmm. What I absolutely love about this movie is it makes the excellent point that the failures of capitalism are not failures of individual morality. People do horrible things in this movie, but not because they're horrible people. It's Hmm. because they're trapped in a system that forces them to behave this way. Yeah, it's it's the actual grown-up great version of, you can't trust the system, man! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah no no but i absolutely know what you mean and i would add to that that i think the show 
manages to have its cake and eat it too. It has really great, well-developed characters, and yet it also deals with those sociological issues. Like, mm -hmm. it, it feels very organically they're linked together. Yeah, so he's working... He manages to make the like this a very intimate character study and i love too that none of the characters are caricatures so i have a lot of i have a lot of empathy for the poor characters in this movie and yes. my heart breaks for them but they're not two-dimensional suffering saints and, right and the rich people aren't cliched terrible rich people in a way the rich people in this movie are probably as good as you can be when you have the kind of wealth that disconnects you from day-to-day -day struggles. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the, yeah, the, the characters are, you know, I don't know if I'd say 100% sympathetic, but they are, you understand where they're coming from. They're not, like, they're not Trump-type people. They're yeah. not people who are cartoon characters that we can, you, you know, show this or that. At the same time, I also... They're not succession characters, either. Exactly. Like, they're not succession characters. They're not Trumps. There's no... there's. I don't think there's a lot of malice in any of the rich people in this No, no, no. Well, part of that, too, is that you have... He sets up pretty clearly this contrast of father-wife-son-daughter, father-wife-son-daughter, too. Mm. And uh, clearly, they're not all very equitable um but but again you, you understand all the kid the characters the son of the the rich people he he's quite a character yeah um you know as soon as you see him bong joon ho makes him very distinctive like it just visually when you first enter their house and everything looks very kind of clean and almost minimalist but then there are those arrows yeah um, that's all I'll say about those. Um, I compared this, uh, and you didn't really know this movie because you didn't see it, but early on, I thought first this was a little bit like a movie from last year called Shoplifters, where that also dealt with, um, uh, people who are kind of living, you know, below their means and are trying to get by by being a little sneaky, um... That may, that kept the much more of a neo-realist uh, tone, whereas this, you know, bon, again, Bong Joon Ho, he's very much a, uh, he's very much you know social satirist, a very biting black comedy. I also thought of like when Louis Buñuel has his movies that are all about eating the rich and uh, and had societal um, clashes. And, oh, God, I don't know how much I can talk about the left this movie before we get into the spoilers. Because yeah, I'm worried that, like, if I te if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the movie, the again, the, how the story takes its turns, it, it would be like if we were in 1960 and we were talking about Psycho. <laughs> and it just came out. And, you know, you don't want to be the dick that <laughs> says, you know about what's up with Norman Bates. Um, yeah, I, I cannot think of another movie that does so well at macro analysis and micro analysis at the same yeah. time. 
Well, it's yeah, exactly. It, it it does the big stuff and the little stuff. It tells a completely, you know, real human story. You know, it's a story about family too. How a family works together, how they don't work together, how a lot of them are disconnected through like technology or whatever it, whatever little stuff they have going on. Um, you know, whether love is there or not there. Um, that's, that comes up as kind of like a key point as well between the, uh, the two fathers. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and yeah, there's also just, you know, it's also just a fun movie a lot of the time too. I'm making it, we're making, we might make it sound very serious. I found myself laughing through a lot of this movie. Yeah. This movie, I literally laughed and cried over the course of this movie. Yes, yeah, there were some tears near the end for you. I didn't quite get. I didn't quite get the tears, but it was, it was far more emotional near the end than I was certainly expecting. Um, And uh, yeah, it's it's. Oh man, Uh, it's. Like I said, if you have seen any one of his movies before, again, I mentioned Snowpiercer. He also made Mother, uh, Memories of Murder. Again, him and Park Chan-wook are like the two major Korean filmmakers. And damn, if maybe Bong Joon-ho now is like my favorite. Like maybe even above Park Chan-wook. Oh, yeah. I, I feel like my puny words are so inadequate to describe this movie. As you, well... I always know a measure of if a movie worked for you. If when we after we leave, your reaction is feelings, so many feelings, <laughs> <laughs> because you're a very feeling creature. I am. I am full of feelings. I am a pot of feelings. Just <laughs> feelings on parade. I have many, many feelings, and I have so many feelings about this movie. And one of the other things I said to you was that. This year, 2019, has been in many ways a year of cinematic disappointments for me. Yeah. A lot of movies that I was super excited for really let me down. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood let me down. Midsommar let me down. Joker let me down. Blinded by the Light let me down. Pretty much every movie that I was really hyped for this year, except for the Jordan Peele movie sucked so i didn't have as many disappointments as you did but i do think that it was this has been a year with more misses than hits so see i i still liked some of the movies that you didn't we're in agreement about joker and you can listen to our review of that uh from another earlier on but uh yeah i think this has been a very weak year cinematically and what i said to you when we were done watching this movie is this made up for it. <laughs> this is, it's totally fine now. I don't care. I really think you could go through the entire year and just watch this movie and be fine. It would give you every single thing you need in a movie. What about Forky? <laughs> You're going to leave Forky behind from Toy Story 4? I do keep forgetting that Toy Story 4 was actually a really good movie. Yeah, you're forgetting about Forky and uh, what's her name in it, too. Uh, <laughs> I really do feel like... But no, it, it's it's good. It's I'm so glad to see a film by a filmmaker completely in command of his craft. Yeah, and I feel like... 
anything you could possibly want out of a film, you can get in this movie. Literally every single type of positive cinematic yeah. experience you can have. Even in this touches movie. of a horror movie. Yeah. With which we'll I guess we'll get to in spoilers. Like it even has elements of that. Um, it's playing all sorts of different keys. It's playing in all sorts of genres. It will shock you. I le- I was sitting through a lot of this movie completely slack jawed and leaning up and leaning forward and making sounds like ooh ooh ooh. <laughs> and I was probably annoying a couple people next to me in the theater. That's when you know you got me when I'm like. It's funny because I think I heard Pauline Kael was once described that way. If, if, she, if she, like if she was watching a movie and you heard from the front row, oh oh oh, you knew that she was into the movie. That was like me. <laughs> um, Another thing we were talking about is it's a little tragic that I feel like as a reviewer, it's much easier to talk about why a movie's bad than why a movie's good. I find it much easier to go on and on and on Mm. and be really detailed and specific about why a movie's bad. Mm. But when a movie's absolutely great, I feel like my praise just gets very bland and nonspecific. Well, I mean, I could get into... Well, I could certainly try to talk up certain cinematic ideas and visual approaches that are why this movie is so strong and commanding like you know just the way that he'll use the camera in certain places and how he'll draw you into the space and how that house therein becomes like another character and another presence even the backyard that this family has so green so green and then also how that contrasts with how Kim Kitek's fam- family, like they live in this little basement uh, crap hole on the end of a block, and like they're always looking out at this guy who's like peeing in the street. <laughs> like little touches like that help to add up to everything. Like this is filled with a lot of little details that I'm sure when I revisit this film, I'll suddenly realize, oh yeah, there was that too. Like it's that kind of richness. Like, because some, you can only talk sometimes about something that's so rich before you start to get a little redundant. Whereas if you're talking about something bad, you could say like, oh, and then this, and then <laughs> this, and then this. So I feel a little bad that I feel like it's easier to be super verbose about bad movies versus good movies. But this is super great. And literally right before we started recording this, I read an article about Bong Joon-ho's artistic process and it was really enlightening because the article said that he does incredibly detailed meticulous storyboards that are the article said they look actually like comics they're that detailed and because Mm -hmm. his storyboards are so precise and because he's so meticulous about blocking they said he doesn't shoot coverage Mm. he literally only shoots from his storyboards and shoots nothing else yeah because they're that good well that's why i think my comparison to hitchcock probably makes sense because that was hitchcock too he always felt that by the time he got to a movie set the work was really over like he had done everything and almost shooting the movie was a chore <laughs> uh i, I hope bong, bong joon doesn't quite feel that way but it has that attention to detail like anytime a character moves in the frame of a shot 
anytime that say a character is peering around a corner on the stairs or doing something like that you can you could tell that someone was staging that very carefully because at times characters have to move in a certain way for the story to make sense yes there is so much tension and precision but also the movie doesn't feel stilted at all either no no Not no no well that's probably why like he knows his actors can carry it like again this guy song kang ho who is the uh, the father of the of the the poorer family you know he he's worked with bong jun ho a bunch of times and he he brings a lot of uh, uh his own kind of energy um the actress who plays the the daughter who I just love saying this name, Park So Dam. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably mispronouncing that. I'm sorry, Miss So Dam. Uh, she's uh, I love her anytime she's on screen. Yeah, like when, especially in the trailer, you can see this clip where she kind of coaches with her brother on how to introduce herself. Yeah. Uh, I'm from Chicago. Yeah, she does this thing with his finger. She's like, Jessica, only child. But instead of saying Chicago, Illinois, she says, like, Illinois, Chicago. Yeah. And she's got swagger. Yeah. Yeah, she definitely has swagger. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, whenever... And the way that she's certain, like, early on in the film when she's in that house and she takes on that character... Um, it almost in a way reminded me of in certain like Tarantino movies, the way that he plays around with people like characters who have to play a character and the element of acting and how major a role that is in, you know, keeping up the facade, keeping up, you know, a thing because it's literally their existence on the line. Yeah. And you know, another thing I think this movie did really well is, once the poor family goes to work for the rich family, they they look totally different. It's almost like the actors physically transform. Yes, yeah, they do a bit. Absolutely. And they put on clothes, they put on this or that, and yeah, they become these new characters. They look totally different. It's you and it's such a dramatic transformation and then when they go back to their shabby, horrible apartment, of course they're back to being like their shabby, horrible selves. But it's it's a it's the ultimate. Uh, I made this joke to you. It's the ultimate upstairs downstairs movie <laughs> in a lot of ways that we'll get into in spoilers. You know, so if oh, yeah. you were if you were someone listening who say saw like the Downton Abbey movie <laughs> and was disappointed by that. This, I think, will correct that for you. I don't think I can watch that show now, having seen this movie. Because <laughs> I've long been meaning to watch the show Downton Abbey, but I read in a review of the movie, all the servants really just love being servants and are really obsequious and are really <laughs> like, please, sir, oh. may I have another? I don't think I can watch that show now after watching this movie. To, to paraphrase George Orwell, they they actually enjoy doing the dirty work of empire. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So final thoughts before we move on to spoilers. I absolutely love this movie. This is my favorite movie so far this year. High up there in this decade's best, which is again, might be hyperbole hype after seeing a movie. Occasionally I become like the, the bum critic from the, 
nostalgia critic site. You know, <laughs> oh my god, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen in my life. Um, <laughs> but that doesn't happen to me that often. I'm usually, I think, pretty level-headed. But this, it just so, so worked on me. And again, was first and foremost a profound emotional experience. And then... <laughs> If you want to have your Marxist critique or whatever, you can do that too. But, you know, this is a great movie for right now. Yes, it is very of the moment. And the other thing is, even though it is not set in America, it still feels like it's about America. Like, you can draw a lot of parallels between what's going on in America to what's going on. Yeah, it, it abs yeah that's why I said that it's it's made by a filmmaker who clearly has some socialist leanings, but he doesn't make that he doesn't make it turn into like a Godard movie or something yeah. where you feel like you're watching a polemic or yeah. didactic thing. Or when like when like, Upton Sinclair novels yeah. get really bad or, at the end. Or actually, one more thing that this isn't like because I just watched this movie this week. Like Steven Soberg should sit down and watch Parasite because I just watched this movie he did for Netflix called The Laundromat. And that is very like, oh, the rich are really terrible and they're all money and Panama papers and, blah, 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 and look at me, I'm breaking the fourth wall. And <laughs> no, stop doing that. You can make it much more interesting by just giving us people. Like that movie didn't have people, it just had message. And this movie has yeah, I love this movie so much. Go see it immediately. Go see it early and often. Yes, be part of the the the, the people who are making this a box office success. Um, I think it did really well in South Korea too. By the way, I'm so glad this movie so deserves to be successful. Yes, Bong Joon Ho, I love you so very, very, very much. Yes. All right. So if you've uh, seen the movie uh we're about to go into spoilers if you haven't seen it i give i advise you that you may want to skip the spoiler part uh but you know at your own risk so we're gonna go spoilers in three two snap spoiler time okay so um let's talk a little bit about the i think her name is moon guang yeah yeah and she's played by lee jung yun and what happens, again, as we mentioned before, that this family comes in one by one, not all at once, but, like, the first comes, first the son comes in, the, the, uh, the Choi Woo Sik character, and then his sister comes to become a art teacher to the son, yes. and which itself is so funny, just, like, how they kind of treat like this these fucking rich parents treat their kid in the whole like my kid could paint that thing yeah and like there's a whole joke where the sister is pointing out to the mother um uh that the if you look in the corner you can see the schizophrenic like tendency didn't she say something like yeah. that and the mother's like oh wow and <laughs> it's like because they're the kind of parents that have hung up their son's painting like as if it's a work of art like not just like a you know drawing on a fridge and so that that happens then the sister the sister is really the crafty one the son yeah. i feel like probably could have just taken her 
he probably could have just been fine with having that yeah. job there. But again, the whole idea is that the family doesn't, they're all out of work. Like, nobody's bringing in money at the start of the story. Um, so the sister comes in as this art teacher. Then she does kind of like a devious thing involving a pair of underwear. And, and so the in, in, in the, the car that the chauffeur drives. Um, so the chauffeur gets canned. And then the father takes that place. Which, to be fair, I think they meant... Did they mention that the father previously did drive? Well, they mentioned he was a valet. Yeah, he was a valet. So, you know, and I guess... that Kind of like the underlying implication is that there are a lot of people out of work in this part of South Korea. Right? Yeah. I think they none of them get jobs. So, and the father's there. He's the driver. The big one, though, to take out, like the final one, is the housekeeper, who is uh, this woman, Moon Guang, and she's been with the family for years. How they get rid of her? Wow. Yeah, so the thing <laughs> is, the, the children, the son and the daughter, it's easy to get them in, because they are either taking the role of someone who's voluntarily left yeah or they're filling a new role but to get the parents in they have to displace the existing driver and the existing housekeeper which means that they have to pull some really shady business and this sets up i think one of the main thematic points of the movie is the fact that ruthless dog-eat-dog capitalism pits the working class ruthlessly against each other. Yeah. So there yeah. are all these working class characters in this movie, and instead of banding together to take down their real enemy, they relentlessly fight each other for scraps well, not, from the rich man's table. Well, well, not even well that, but also they, they're trying to fight for approval. You know, the yeah. fact that... You know, again, this 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 housekeeper Moon Guang has been so happy to be serving this family, in large part because you know it brings her a salary, and of course the big twist that happens. So Moon Guang gets fired after a, a very, um, <laughs> it takes a lot of. This is where like Bong Joon Ho's directorial prowess really kicks in, and it involves a allergy to peaches and special uh you know ways of getting her to appear to have like tb yeah <laughs> and so... <laughs> i love the little moment too where uh <coughs> i think one of the kids or the parents say like is tb still a thing yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah they trick the rich family into thinking this loyal housekeeper has tuberculosis, and so they get rid of her because they can't have someone with active TB near their children. Yes, and at first you think like, oh, the I guess the the she's gone now, and then you think like, oh wow, so this family has gotten in there, you know, and and then there's like this whole night where the family goes off to camp. Goes off camping, and the, the you know the, the the Kim family is just hanging out, and you know they're getting drunk and they're having fun. But then Moon Guang returns and reveals that there's a hidden door 
leading in the bait in the in the cell in the bait in is in the garage or the basement it's the basement in the basement that leads down to a further cellar where it's basically a bomb shelter where moon guang's husband has been secretly living for years so there is a bomb shelter <laughs> under the basement where the housekeeper has stashed her husband. Now, when we left this movie, I loved it so much. And when I was so moved from how beautiful this movie was, I was still crying. I'm still a smartass. So I turned to you and I said, this is a classy version of The Boy. <laughs> I can't. Uh, that that's why I married you because you say things like that. So you're you're so adorably acerbic. <laughs> so because I'm sure we're the only people who've seen the boy. The boy ends. I think I might have talked about the boy on the podcast years ago. Spoilers for the boy, but the boy ends with twist. The boy is a grown man who lives in the walls of the house. That is easily the dumbest twist in movie history. <laughs> I remember being in the theater when that happened, and I just, I threw up my hands and nearly yelled at the screen. I didn't do that with this because I was just like, oh. Yeah, so what happens is the housekeeper's husband is hiding out in the bunker to avoid his debts. Like, he's so indebted and he's so economically marginalized that he lives in a bunker. Yeah. Subsisting off of scraps. But but this whole sequence is just so well... It unfolds so brilliantly because yeah. at first, you know, it's just the, the mother who's now, again, now she's the housekeeper and she's talking and she is led down into this you know, subterranean, you know, shelter. And Moon Guang is kind of begging her, like, please, please don't tell the, please don't tell the family, don't tell the cops, you know, I'll give you some money if you, you know, help us. And the whole time, the rest of her family, like in a cartoon, are just kind of like trying to listen in in the stairs, and they fall over onto each other. And then Moon Guang's like, Oh, <laughs> oh! So you've been doing this. Oh, now I'm gonna blackmail you. And of course, this is what you've been talking about yeah. of them playing off each other. Although you have to think, though, it makes psychological sense. Though I mean, this woman had been working for them for years, and she's being upended by to her this family of scrubs. Yeah. Well, this family who. The Kim family who maneuvered their way in really did wreck her life. And since we're in the spoiler zone, end her life. Yes. Um, yeah. There's through a series of like, you know, as you said, wackiness ensues. All, you know, it's like you think like, oh, now they're just going to try to fight it out in this house. But no, suddenly it's been raining outside extremely heavily. And the, the, the the family um the uh the parks um they're, they're the rich person family they're finally coming they're after, they're coming home way earlier because <laughs> yeah. they're you know they're flooded out and so suddenly in like eight minutes they have to clear like their mess of a house yeah so the park <laughs> it's almost like it's for a split second you know a lesser filmmaker or a lesser movie 
it's almost like uh i'm not gonna say lesser but it's almost like risky business when tom cruise has to clean up at the end yeah so the kim family because they think the rich family is gone camping and they're gone they're they get drunk they eat a gigantic meal they're spread out in the living room and they've got food everywhere drink everywhere they're making fun of each other they're whooping it up and then they get a call where the how where the mom is told you have eight minutes to make really fancy ramen noodles yes for the family and watching them try to evade detection is simultaneously funny but also super tense oh my god oh my god it's almost like you're watching like the it's like the family is the crop duster and every piece of the family is Cary Grant trying <laughs> to hide from it north by northwest it's like you're kind of laughing but I was like ah um yeah it, it's like that and then um yeah as, as we said Moon Guang through one very violent moment is kind of flung down the stairs and cracks her head. The, 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 her husband is kind of tied up, but it's, but it's clearly now we, you come to realize, Oh, things are going to get worse from here. Aren't they? And they do like the, the family eventually through God, there's just so much you could talk about. Like, like the fact that the, like three of them, uh, Song Kang Ho, you know, the father Kim and his son and daughter are hiding under a table while the parks are on a, are on the couch because their son is out like in the backyard playing whatever Indians in, in the backyard. And the two of them are fucking. Yeah. So, well, yeah. When You're they're... literally seeing the, like the husband, like, fingering the wife of the hunter. Yeah, so these people have to lay under a coffee table while the family that employs them are engaging in weird dirty talk and masturbating each other. And and yet it's like it it should it this is very awkward and very intense, but it still feels real in a way. If that well, makes sense. That's one thing what really impresses me about this and Snowpiercer mm -hmm. is no matter how out there the movie gets, it never loses an ounce of authenticity. And because it adds little touches in the dialogue, like when they're on the couch, before they start fooling around with each other, uh, the, hu the husband and wife are talking about the like the radish smell or whatever the smell it is from the because because apparently that you know the the kim he has Mr. a kim. certain or odor you know song kang ho can't help but bring the smell of his where he lives with him which mm -hmm. you know maybe for us we wouldn't smell that but for these you know rich folks they you know they, they somehow can smell not rich well, this is <laughs> emanating off. Them. This is a really tough moment for Mr. Kim because the Kim family, once they've infiltrated the parks, they're proud of the work that they're doing. They don't. And the thing is, the parks see themselves as above the housekeeper and her sad husband in the bomb shelter. So they think 
that they are better than their fellow working class. Yes, exactly. And, that, and that, is, think, that is absolutely right. They, they don't see that they are, you know, still like the servants. Yeah. And <clears throat> they think they have, they think that they have impressed the parts. And so when they're laying there totally helpless and they hear their, supposedly benevolent employers laughing at them and how they smell and how the the father like the rich father keeps talking about how he can't stand employees that cross the line yes yeah whatever this line means yeah we never know that that's probably where they're at their most unlikable like there, it's funny how the, the, this family of the uh, of of the you know the parks they um they they become like more unlikable towards the end of the movie, even though I still you know I still think that they're realistic. The way that they, they you start to notice the divide a bit more sharply, in particular when they come back the next day and have to prepare like this party for their son. Yeah. So what happens is. The Kims have to hear their employers laughing at them about how they smell because they live in a super tiny, dank, subterranean basement apartment. Mm -hmm. And then they find out that their basement apartment is almost totally flooded out. Yes, that's another sequence that, you know, you talk about, like, real, just mind-blowing cinema almost on the level of like when like Kurosawa would deal with rain in his films. Uh, you know, like when you would see like Rashomon or seven samurai and there would be a lot of rain there, how he shows like this family moving through the city at night, you know, just that kind of seeing them all kind of isolated. And, and then when they finally get back to their place and yeah, they, because they couldn't get back home in time, they left the window open, which also is great storytelling because they plant that very subtly at the beginning of the movie because they leave the windows open for the fumigation to come in because that will kill their bug problems. Um, and yeah, they, they, they come home and realize, oh, we don't have a home now. We're basically homeless. It's like this home, it's... For a movie that I, I've been saying that part that, that this director Bong Joon Ho is kind of, has kind of a socialist leaning, but this movie in the second half does a lot to humble these characters. Well, again, you know what I mean, I think it shows that every every character in the movie is behaving the way they are because of the perverse incentive structure of the yes. society they live in. So they're, they're doing backflips to try to make sure that they can have their status for themselves, but also in the eyes of others. And that's what makes it tragic. Like every character in this movie is tragic. I think even the comfortable, affluent, which rich characters are kind of tragic. But the thing with Mr. Kim is the Kim family finds out their house has been flooded, so they have to leave and they have to go to a shelter. They have to stay in a gym overnight. And the next day, they're called and they're told, 
you have to come into work because our son wants to have a birthday party after all. And then you could just see like the whole, like the family, the Kim family is just kind of shell shocked after yeah. like the past, uh, you know, 18 hours or whatever it is. Yeah. And they know they can't tell their employers well, actually, we were flooded out, and we're ba- and we're practically homeless, and we've had an incredibly brutal night evading your detection. And there's, I love, <laughs> and that there's a guy who is trying to make Morse code out of like hitting his head on a switch that sets a light off. I absolutely love the montage <clears throat> where Mr. Kim is going with the rich mom shopping for her son's birthday yes, party. Yes. And she's told by her husband, oh, you've got to make a whole round of trips. You got to go to the florist. You got to go to the wine shop. You got to go to a cake store. And we see her going to all these stores, but she's not even doing any of the actual work of shopping. Mr. Kim is. Mr. Kim is picking everything up, carrying everything, actually dispensing the money, and she's just having these very froofy conversations on the phone with her friend. And then, when she's driving with Mr. Kim back to her home, she notices the smell. And she doesn't say anything to him, but she yeah. very pointedly wait, sniffs and wait, opens the window. Wait, I got to talk about that for a second. That's it's kind of ironic that that happens, too, because if you notice, she has like her feet up. Exactly. Her bare feet up. So who knows? She's probably smelling her own stank ass. feet, but <laughs> Because she's rich. She doesn't think of it that way. Right. Yeah. No, no. She absolutely doesn't. Uh and I, I also like just like that one moment too, where right after that, her, um, Kim's son, who we've been kind of seeing that he and the park's daughter have got like kind of like a not very serious but sort of romantic thing going on, where they just yeah. kind of make out sometimes when they're not doing their English tu- tutoring, and the son's kind of looking out this birthday party, and he sort of just very lone in a lonely voice and it kind of says do i fit in here yeah and i just oh I, my like and she does and the daughter just doesn't get it like when she's kind of hearing him say that and it's you kind of feel like the disconnect happened even more at that point my heart aches so much for these characters and my heart aches for how they are pitted against each other in a zero-sum game and their humanity is systematically stripped away from them yes by their poverty yeah and and one might think like if you've seen the movie there's some very violent stuff near the end of this movie in one sense that also is something that you could say is not unlike Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where both these films have quite horrifically violent ends. Yeah. Um, in this case, though, I think it's even more... It, it has a more organic feel to, to what's happening, because it feels like something has to explode. And that brings out even more tragedy because of what happens between Mr. Kim and Mr. Park. And... You know, basically both these families have been completely devastated once the truth basically is let out by this crazy person. Yeah, so the husband 
as you can imagine, years in the bunker and years of extreme deprivation of all types have not been great for his constitution. Well, he also wants, he's also out for revenge because his wife is now dead. Yeah, well, the other thing is, too, the sad thing is the bunker husband still loved Mr. Park and would tap out respect. So what's really sad is he spends literal years in the bunker still believing in the myth of meritocracy and still believing in the myth that rich people deserve their riches. Yeah, that was a that was a touch that I wasn't expecting that yeah, you would think that this guy would be really bitter about his place in life, but but no, he actually had a respect for the fact that there are these rich people living above them. Um, part of that, too, they also mentioned that they had other rich people that were living there before. Right? Yeah, and... But when he snaps... <clears throat> oh! He snaps! Oh, he's he's doing this, man. Uh, okay. th- there are some weapons, there are some hatchets, there are some knives. Um, Giant rocks, which are metaphorical. <laughs> Yes, the rock, there's a rock that's set up very well. It's like, it's funny how I I know that people now listening to this part have seen the movie, and I still don't know if I want to give away everything because I can't adequately explain how crazy the final, like, bad of violence is. Um, But then then comes, like, what we can kind of call the denouement, which... It's like, it should bother me that it suddenly goes into voiceover because there hasn't been any voiceover before this point in the movie because the son, you think the son at first is dead by like how um, the guy living in the bunker like used a rock to like slam this kid's head, but somehow he lived and now he's like there, he's living with his mother, um, but the father ran off because... Um, because Mr. Kim killed Mr. Park in like a fit of through a, through a number of things that happen in this big violent sequence, Kim's daughter is stabbed and he's just like, he, there's a moment where like the father, cause there's other violent stuff that happened and Mr. Park's like, give me the keys, give me the keys. And he just it, like Mr. Kim kind of snaps too and stabs the guy well, because Mr. Kim sees Mr. Park sniffing at the homeless bunker husband. Yes. Yeah, right. I almost forgot about that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I almost... I should, yeah, that's true. And, yeah, the, that whole act of smelling. It's yeah. like... God. Yeah, because obviously bunker husband again is gonna you know have that not so fresh thing and he finally realizes as his daughter is bleeding to death right in front of him i thought i was so much better than the people in the bunker i literally murdered to preserve my place in the hierarchy above the bunker people but i am no better than the yeah bunker people. no he's not and and he follows up with that too in you know he's he's about to run away and then he realizes oh wait i can just stay in the bunker and that's what he does and the movie ends in this uh in such a 
sad way where the son realizes, like, kind of goes up on this hill and looks down at the house and suddenly notices the yeah. light doing the Morse code. And, oh, that final passage, again, I wasn't quite tearing up as much as you were, but it is such a yeah. profound experience at the end of this sadness because you know that their lives have been kind of shattered, but they're is still this connection that uh, that that the father feels, and that now that he's kind of having to scrounge for food, and he kind of details in this letter about having to, you know, he almost thinks he's going to get killed by just going to the fridge. Yeah, because he's living in this bunker, but he doesn't have a housekeeper wife <coughs> to bring him food. And yeah, and just the way that shot is really like him sitting alone by himself in the bunker. It's just so, uh, it's like so isolated and you feel that too, like what, just visually. What I love too is the basement door is always just blacked out, but right next to the basement door is the super ornate display of China. And so the opulence yeah. of the China and then the starkness of the basement door. It's, it's like he's descending into an abyss. But what's <laughs> really sad is... The son then tells us what he's going to do is get rich so he can buy the house and liberate his father from the bunker. And he and he has this fantasy of getting rich enough to buy the house and finally letting his father out of the bunker and just hugging him. And it's so tragic because you know the whole time this is a fantasy and you know... This son is never going to make enough money to get the house because the meritocracy is a sham and this guy is going to be poor his entire <laughs> life because that's how this this is how these things go and yeah. the tragedy of the the tragedy of his fantasy where and you know that like he needs this fantasy to get up in the morning but you know to a fantasy it remains well said. I don't know how else I can put it better than that. You're that was very well articulated. It was well. I was crying, and I was. It was just absolutely devastating, and it was the most devastating ending you've seen since the Lego Movie, <laughs> <laughs> which you also cried watching. This is true. I'm sorry. I'm, I, I just had to point it out. Um. But no, this is a film that is, it almost seems contradictory to say that a film that this bitingly satirical of how people in different classes struggle and live, struggle amongst each other, um, how it can also be deeply, warmly human and, you know, show that when a family works well together, like even just the very beginning of this movie, when I think back to it, this movie has a very deceptively simple opening. The fact that it opens with the children are trying to look for Wi-Fi because yeah. they've just lost their Wi-Fi connection. Well, they can't mooch <clears throat> off of other people's Wi-Fi. Yeah. So they have to go all the way in the corner of their house. And it's even though they're all, even though they have to struggle in like these little ways, um, they're still very much together. 
whereas the the rich family you know maybe they're together maybe not we talked uh off we talked off mic uh uh when we were on our way home about the uh about that moment which i guess i actually was in the bathroom for this bit where the where kim mr kim asks uh, mr park like do you love your wife and you said you told me that there's like a long pause before yeah. he answers because clearly he i don't know do you think he maybe uh, do you think he loves his wife i think he loves her as much as he's capable mm, that's a good yeah i think that's a good way to put it i because I, I don't really know if i see love there i just see like I guess there's, and then the mother, she's kind of an odd duck too, because you think that she loves her kids and clearly she cares about them. But as you noted as well to me that the mother asks if her son wants to eat, she doesn't ask her daughter. So there's also a bit of misogyny going on too. Yeah. And the thing is, you don't really see a lot of like tension in the rich couple, like you, ne- you don't see them fight. Their interactions are pleasant, and clearly they're sexually active. Yeah, and they <clears throat> like to finger bang on couches. But but maybe that goes to speak to, even though they are attracted to each other on a shallow surface level, there's nothing underneath. There's no real uh. bond that that keeps them together aside from, you know. He clearly makes a lot of money doing what he does. She has, you know, a body that knocks. Uh, <laughs> they're cute. <clears throat> they're pretty and pleasant. And- they, they have the kind of faces that make for very pretty wedding photos, which yeah. I like that detail, too, that they put their their wedding and family pictures are so large on the walls. Yeah. <laughs> and... There, you see multiple moments where the wife will tell the Kims, don't tell my husband this. So they withhold information from each other. Mm-hmm. And there's one point also in that car where Mr. Park says to Mr. Kim, I will play the part of the good husband. Huh. And I must have missed that too. That's in the same scene. Okay. Where you were in the bathroom. Oh, um, another one more thing I want to make a note of. Uh, the music in this movie is really fascinating to me. There's times where the music is very peppy. Yeah. And it is working. It's meant to work against what we're watching, but in a way that's, uh, that the music is almost critiquing the scene. <laughs> Like I feel like that sequ- that montage where Mr. Kim is taking around the the Mrs. Park to get all the stuff the for the party the the music is very bouncy and yet it's I'm almost making fun of it or showing that it's very eh. well. Another thing I think is great about how this movie looks is. Mr. Kim seriously looks like he ages 20 years over the course of the film. <laughs> he he does seem like very haggard near the end. By the end, he looks so beaten down and it's really impressive. This is going to sound weird, but how expressively inexpressive his face is. Hmm. Where on the one yeah, hand... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this bit where the two of them 
the two fathers are they have on these Indian headdresses because yeah. he's trying to get Mr. Parks trying to get Mr. Kim to dress up as like an Indian for mm-hmm. a stunt for his kid. And yeah, in that moment, he's oh, Sung Kang Ho plays that so brilliantly because he's so dead faced. Yeah, he's so stoic. But because in the car when he's driving Mrs. Kim and in the Indian headdress scene, he's so stoic. But the camera spends so long on his face that you can see so much. Yes. Even in that stoicism. And, oh my god, it was spectacular <laughs> facial acting. That's what acting usually re- requires. Yeah. The face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That was, I don't know if that was a little mean. Like, I know what you meant by, obviously, facial I'm acting. I'm going to punch you in the face. Um, <laughs> that was facial acting. No, then it's going to be real. That won't be acting. <laughs> Oh, I won't. I, I, that won't be fake pain. All right. I will not batter my husband. And if you ask me if I love you, I won't pause for fifteen seconds before I answer. As if you have to think about the answer. There to is that. no spousal battery on the Way to the Cinema podcast. Yes. All right. Um. Any. Uh, I think I'm ready to ra- almost wrap this up. But uh, look, we actually talked for quite a while about this movie. Because it's awesome. <laughs> it is awesome. So, yeah, I'm I'm so pleased with this movie. I uh, it's uh, this has such of everything that I look to for cinema, which is it again. It puts a mirror up to society and really does ask hard questions that people. Some people may not really be ready to answer or some Mm. people don't really want to think about. And yet I feel like this movie does a great job of smuggling those questions in to a kind of dark comic thriller. You know what I mean? It, It does in a way that I just love so much when a director can do it so well. Um, Unlike take note, Todd Phillips with the Joker, that yeah. you can here, there is a way that you can present uh, abject human misery and poverty in a way that isn't one note hackery foolishness. Yeah, we we both thought during the movie when I was watching this, I thought I was like, and that idiot Todd Phillips thinks he has something to say about class. <laughs> actually nothing to say he's a moron and a, <laughs> and a hack stop making movies you know all he had to do was just not say anything all he had to do was not be interviewed and he might have almost i wouldn't say he would have gotten away with it but if he had just stopped talking and stopped talking about oh woke culture and you know uh, these things like well unfortunately i feel like most people like the movie and it's been very successful financially no so well, the we're, joke's we're, on us but ah, yeah the <laughs> where the joke is on us whereas luckily though i think parasite in its ways is trying to do its part though to 
make cinema matter and be important and be Bong Joon Ho should make all the movies from now on. Yeah. Just make he, all the movies. His Joker movie would have slapped so hard. <laughs> his Joker movie would have redefined the genre. And it would have been uh it it, it you wouldn't have had I don't know if you if he had done that stare sequence <laughs> I think it would have been a lot less irritating. <laughs> um all right. So I think we're I think we've kind of praised this enough. Go see Parasite. We love it. Yes. If you've seen Parasite and have any thoughts, please wage the cinema at gmail.com. Uh we're on Facebook, Twitter, add us if you have any thoughts or feelings about this review. Um you know, thank you for all the comments. Uh, we always see your comments, Gabe Rodriguez. Uh, we love you, Gabe. Yes, thank you for all the shout outs and uh, to also, uh, hi, mom. <laughs> <laughs> hi, other mother. Yes. All right. And when we come back next time, maybe we'll have a good movie. Maybe we'll have a bad movie. I, I don't know if nothing, anything can live up to Parasite. It won't. Yes, but that's fine. Until next time, I'm Jack. I'm Corey. And the wages of cinema is... Pugs and economic inequality. And being fumigated and <laughs> flooded and good night.